Hello and welcome to part two of a special episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. As always, I'm joined by my best friend, Andre Grayson. Hello, Mr. Dow. Now, in the last episode, we looked at our favourite players of the Emirates era who have held the squad numbers of one to five. This week, we are looking at the squad numbers 6 to 11. So there's a few more names in here than there were in the last episode. So hopefully there'll be a little bit more arguing between myself and Andre. So to start with, we have number 6. Now, only two players have held number 6 since we moved to the Emirates. They are Lauren Koscielny most recently. And before him was Philippe Senderos. So, Andre, get us off and started, please. The answer is Laurent Koscielny. Um, mm, well, <laughs> you say that. Um, <laughs> so, if you took out how Koscielny left, and I think, you know, in light of recent events, you do wonder even more so how that happened in the way it did. Koscielny was a brilliant centre-half. He was our best centre-half we had for a long, long time. Arsenal man went on to be our captain, you always felt confident with him in the side. He had the occasional Rick in him, in fairness, but Koscielny was he was everything you want in a centre-half. He was great in the air, brilliant in the tackle, read the game brilliantly, was always on the front foot, front, front foot, front foot and was really, really aggressive. Could always nick a goal, which is a quality I adore in a centre-half. Uh, he had pace, he had recovery pace. The biggest difference between the centre-halves we have now compared to Koscielny, and the reason he was used and overused and his Achilles snapped is because he had that recovery pace. With the people we're being linked with or Saliba, they might have that. And that's what we've lacked. That's what you need as a centre-half in the Premier League at the highest level. And there's no doubt that we were a much, much, much better team with him in there. Absolutely. And I think it was a big shock to everyone at the club when he did leave the way that he did. And I don't think there's any question that we we wouldn't have signed David Luiz had it not been for losing Lauren Koscielny. We knew we had to get a body in. We knew that we probably needed an experienced body in there as well. And that's probably why we why we opted for David Luiz. But we do miss Lauren Koscielny. Uh, I'm, I'm not really up to date with what's going on in French football. So I'm not sure how, how well he's done at Bordeaux since he's been there. But overall, his time at Arsenal has to be remembered favourably. He sort of joined Arsenal just just before the big decline, didn't he? So we still had Fabregas when he joined. We still had Van Persie. So we had a good squad around him. But he was very, very reliable and he committed himself to, uh, throughout the best years of his career to an Arsenal side that at times just simply was not at the level that he was at. And he probably could have gone and played for a far better team at the time. But he chose to stick it out at Arsenal. And then ultimately, he wanted to go back to France and play football there. I'm sure there were more things than we're aware of that that prompted that decision. Uh, Obviously, he has to be number one. Very quickly, just just to speak about Philippe Senderos. He was a player that I was so excited about when we signed him. Now, if anyone hasn't listened to the uh, In Lockdown interview that Arsenal did with Philippe Senderos, it's really, really eye-opening. It shows you what an intelligent person he was. And I didn't realise just how many big European clubs were after him at the time when we signed him. So he was a really sought-after centre-back and really sought-after youngster. And when he first came onto the scene in 2004-2005, uh, I remember a game against Bayern Munich that he was absolutely sensational in. And he was very unfortunate that we got knocked out that night, but he he was brilliant. But he just never really kicked on from that. 
and that was what was so disappointing. He he was good. He was good the following season, but as soon as we moved to the uh, the Emirates, he just wasn't quite the player that we thought he was going to become. And I think his career with so many different clubs that he went to, loan spells here and there, I think they kind of showed that he never quite reached the potential that he he may have had. But a really, really good character that Arsenal had. And I don't think many Arsenal fans would have a bad word to say about him in terms of how he was as an individual. But maybe just not quite good enough for what we needed at the time. Yep. A good summation. So, Koscielny one, Senderos two. Debatable, but yes. It's all this corner. And it's turned in from very close range by Laurent Koscielny. He's the one the Arsenal players jump on. It's another defender. And Arsene Wenger's team have come back from 2-0 down at Wembley. Right, so number sevens. Again, I think this is going to be a fairly straightforward one. So the three number sevens we've had is Thomas Rizitsky, uh signed for Arsenal when Robert Pires left and took the number seven shirt. We then had... Alexis Sanchez when Thomas Rosicki left Arsenal. And finally, we had Henrik Mkhitaryan. And probably the less said about that one, the better. But Andre, start us on this one, please. Well, ultimately, Tom, the outcome of this is whether we intend to take this up to numbers 12 to say, I don't know, 17. Because Sanchez was only number seven for one season. Um, which comes into my thinking here. Uh, Thomas... Uh, what do you do? You do I, I call him Rossicky. Always have. I refuse to call him Rosicky. So to me, he's Thomas Rossicky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he was. You know, we talked about DRB. DRB in, in the previous podcast. You know, he showed glimpses, but never really had a consistent run. Rosicky did. He. Well, I've already changed back. Okay, Rosicky did. He was such. He was the most frustrating player because on his day, the way he turned an accelerated play and could beat a man, he was everything you want from that sort of number 10 or could play wide. He was a great player. It was such a great shame he had all the injuries he did because I thought he was fantastic. I mean, what, do, what did you think of big, big Tommy? I love Thomas Rosicki. I really, really did. Um the only thing I found disappointing is obviously when we signed him, it was as a very attacking player that we were relying on getting goals from wide positions. And in his first couple of years before he picked up all those injuries, he, he did offer a goal threat. Um, but then that towards the, the latter stages of his career just got less and less and less. And I always found that was quite disappointing because his overall play, his link-up play was fantastic. And you could see most of the time we were a better team having him in it. And when he wasn't there, you could see what was missing in our midfield. But I loved him. I absolutely loved him. Another player who, okay, he's, his career was unfortunately affected so heavily by, by his injury problems, but served Arsenal brilliantly. And every time he went on the pitch, he, he was one of the ones you didn't question about his attitude and his effort. You knew he was going to give 100% for the club. And factor in the fact that he scored uh, some goals against Tottenham as well, including that thunderbolt at White Hart Lane. Uh, I think it's very, very hard to look past him um, as the number one choice here. The only thing going against him here is that Alexis Sanchez was phenomenal. And although he only, as you say, I think it was a, was it a year and a half he had the mm-hmm. number seven for, he still performed incredibly well, particularly in that first season. So 
I'm sort of torn between the two. If it was if it was purely on ability and and output, I'd say Alexis Sanchez. Uh, but I think this is where one of the, one of the occasions where we favour someone on who we like the most maybe comes out on top. So I'd probably say Thomas Rosicki is, is number one and Alexis just just number two. Look, if Alexis went straight to Inter Milan, we may even have a different feeling about him. Um, he was. He carried us, Sanchez, to be fair, um, for, for especially when he was number seven. But I think he became a bit too self-indulged at that point, and he was incredibly frustrating to watch. Don't get me wrong, he was still our most effective player by such a distance. But I think the worst part was, was he knew it too. And he was on a different wavelength to everyone else at the time. Um, uh, just a quick note on Mkhitaryan, uh, because obviously those two relate quite quite nicely. Um, worst swap deal of all time strange you know I, I actually uh, some highlights came up the other day of the first game his debut for us with Aubameyang and Ramsey scored a hat-trick and he looked incredible and I remember thinking if we get that player or even close to that player most weeks we'll be absolutely delighted we got nowhere near it um, what a waste of time Real shame. But I do think if we do this in five years, there will be a unanimous answer, and that will be the new number seven, Mr. Bakayo Saka. So we're going Thomas Rosicki, number one, Sanchez, two, Mickey, three. Zitsky, and he's coming third. And Percy's in the middle. Thierry Henry is joining him now far side. It's Kerb again. And that was Rosicki! will take the lead in the FA Cup third round at Anfield and it's Thomas Rosicki. Right, now things get interesting because we've had quite a few number eights over the years. Uh, so I'm going to go through the list and I'll go in chronological order. So when we moved to the Emirates, our number eight was Freddie Lundberg. So he was still at Arsenal in 06-07. The following season in 07-08, Lasana Diara took the number eight shirt at the start when we signed him. And I believe he left in January. So he wasn't number eight for long. After he left, Sami Nasri took, took over number eight. Following him was Mikel Arteta, then Aaron Ramsey, and then Danny Ceballos. Mm-hmm. So... We've had quite a number there, so this might be a bit of a, a bit of a conversation. Now, before we get too stuck into that, I think you probably have to say that although although Freddie Lundberg had a fantastic career at Arsenal, that last season he was injured for a lot of it. He didn't play an awful lot, and he was nowhere near the player that he once was. So, I I, I find it difficult to put him too high on this list because I associate him as a hybrid player. I don't associate with him with an Emirates player. Well, I think we should, to make this easier, is I think we should remove Freddie and Diara from the equation. Right, Diara is my number one. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll remove Freddie and we'll remove Diara because ultimately Diara, if you take Freddie out, uh, Diara would certainly be bottom of that list anyway. So... I, I do think the, what I will say about Lasana Diari is I, I thought he could have been a very, very good player for Arsenal if he wanted to stick around. 
Yeah. Um, but obviously something happened there. He wasn't happy with the foot with the football he was getting. And sometimes things don't work out the way you expect them to. So Freddie Lundberg and Lissana Diara have been removed from that list, which means we've got to choose from Sami Nasri, Mikel Arteta, Aaron Ramsey, and Danny Ceballos. I'll get us started on this one. I found this one quite hard to do because instinctively I just said Aaron Ramsey straight away. And I don't again I probably associate Ramsey more with his number 16 shirt than I do with his number eight. However, I think he served the club brilliantly, whatever number he's been wearing, and I'm more than happy to factor him in as the number eight here. But then I think about Mikel Arteta, and I spoke about it in the last podcast, about the stabilising presence that Per Mertesacker brought when he arrived at the club. And Mikel Arteta brought about a very similar stabilising effect uh, signed in the same transfer window, came in as a, essentially a replacement for Cesc Fabregas and very, very different player, but came in and managed to help solidify our midfield and turn us into a far more combative team than we were before he arrived. So I, I, it's very easy just to be pref- preferential towards Mikel Arteta because he's our manager now. But I, I, I think it's a, probably a toss-up between him and Ramsey for the number one slot. Um, yeah, I think it's Aaron Ramsey. The FA Cup finals are... If we're doing this on sort of who could be more influential on the club, sure, it's it's Arteta. Um, you know, I've, Arteta was a, a good midfielder, really good. And as you said, really stabilising. I think we had an interesting time where actually, if you think now, he was a number 10 at Everton. He didn't really drop back to that sort of number eight and then more of a number six that he became at Arsenal, really. And that shows you a lot about a player and the intelligence of them. And actually, I read a Van Persie quote the other day about him that he was just constantly coaching on the pitch. Now, you can't really, as a fan, you can hear all of that. You don't really understand it if you weren't on the pitch with them. But Aaron Ramsey gave some brilliant moments. The winner against Hull, the winner against Chelsea, the season where he was unplayable, the fact he had his leg broken by that absolute, yeah, up in Stoke, the fact he came back from that, his winner against Manchester United where he swept home upon his return. There are so many great, his volley against Galatasaray, there are so many great Aaron Ramsey moments. I'm gutted he's not an Arsenal player. He should have seen his career out at this club. I completely understand why he didn't. But for me, Aaron Ramsey is a club legend. I don't think... Arteta will be. Do you know what I mean? He will be, it seems, anyway. He's probably more of a legend now, Arteta, than he was because he's come back and coached us and and he manages us and we've just won an FA Cup. So I've got to have Ramsey number one. I think Arteta is going to be one of those players who ends up being a better manager or coach than they were a player. And that's no discredit to his career at all. I think that speaks... Uh, for everything that he is as a head coach at the moment. And if he carries on the trajectory that he seems to be following, then I I, I don't think that is uh, too far-fetched to suggest that. So Aaron Ramsey is an Arsenal legend. I saw someone the other day crit- uh, questioning whether he was an Arsenal legend. And I just, I, I, I don't understand that, if I'm honest. I, I, I What he's done for the club, uh, the injury that he went through, and then to come back from that and to still then be able to perform at such a high level... Okay, on occasions he was inconsistent, but he made Arsenal a far better team 
when he was in it. And as you say, if he was in this squad, uh, this squad of players now, we would be a better team. I don't buy into the whole uh, if if Juventus would be willing to loan him back to us. I think we need to move on from that completely. Uh, but as you say, I, I I really would have loved him to have seen his career out of Arsenal because it felt like that would have happened at some point. But losing him for nothing was was really, really hard to take. The only other one we need to talk about, obviously, Danny Sabias. Danny Sabias and Sami Nasri. Now, Danny Sabias obviously had uh, a rather indifferent start to his Arsenal career. And then towards the end of the season, he was absolutely fantastic. But... I don't think you can really judge him as a whole because we don't know what the long-term situation with him is going to be. We also can't really factor in that he had a good three months of the season whilst the rest of it was fairly poor. So he's a a tricky one to sort of assess in that regard. But Sami Nasri, uh, during his time at the club, he was a player I was so excited about when we signed. And he, he also produced some fantastic moments. And had he not been so keen to leave and to go and win things with Manchester City, uh, I think he probably would have won things at Arsenal if we could have kept that team together. Yeah, I mean, Fabregas, Nasri, Oshavin, Van Persie was... Oh, I long for those days. Uh, <laughs> never mind. Um, yeah, I really love Nasri. I mean, I think he had one unbelievable spell, which does give a tint to his Arsenal career that's perhaps more favourable than it actually was Um, in terms of goal scoring because he had a very prolific spell I mean his brace against Fulham it it was spectacular Uh, one of my favourite goals a pair of goals is his against Man United Uh, that that move that opens up um, which I'm sure may even come up in a commentary quiz at some point uh, where Nasri rifles home is again that performance against Man United felt like a coming of age one and he felt such an integral part of it but it wasn't to be and I do think that we're going to talk on about some talk about some mercenaries um, as we go down this list for sure but the way he left uh, was one of my least favourite to be honest I, I Fabregas you know that hurt but we got it I got why he wanted to leave Nasri Less so, although, you know, technically he was proven right, as much as it hurts me to say. But for me, he's got to go above Ceballos on this list as well, even though I love Danny. Yeah, I think we're kind of in agreement. So we've got Aaron Ramsey as number one, Mikel Arteta number two, Samir Nasri number three, and Danny Ceballos number four. And as we previously mentioned, Freddie Lundberg and Lassana Diara were removed from that list for the reasons that we gave. So Aaron Ramsey is the winner. Will share Here's Giroud. Oh, brilliantly taken. Absolutely brilliantly taken by Aaron Ramsey. He's got one right. And Arsenal finally lead. Deep into extra time. It looks as though, in the end, it's going Arsene Wenger's way. Moving on to number nine. So, again, we've had quite a few number nines during the uh, Emirates era and they've not all been ultimately successful. So I'll just, again, go through in chronological order. So when we moved to the Emirates, uh, we Jose Antonio Reyes and Julio Baptista were involved in a swap loan deal. We saw uh, Jose Antonio Reyes go to Real Madrid and Julio Baptista came to Arsenal. Julio Baptista took the number nine shirt, so I had that for the first year. He was then followed by Eduardo, who had number nine. Then it was Park Chu Young, who we signed in 2011. 
followed by Lucas Podolski and then Alexander Lacazette. So, Andre, take it away. If the answer's parked you young, what was the question? <laughs> Are we including, so we're going to include Julio in this list? I think so, yeah. I mean, I just go back to Park Chi Young. The only question that could yield that answer is what was the most pointless signing that we made that wasn't Denis Suarez? Uh, well, I think there's a debate to be had with Kim Kalstrom there. Um, penalty Maestro. Penalty Maestro, yes. Okay. Um, where to start? Um, I'm going to start with the most recent, Lacazette. He's, again, he's a really, really tricky player to analyse. Uh, I When we signed Lacazette, I was very excited. Um, I think he, he could have dovetailed nicely with Giroud, actually. But six months into his Arsenal career, we have a chance to sign... Not six months, no, sorry. A year and a half after, we get a chance to sign Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And he is eclipsed as Arsenal's main goal threat and becomes this different player automatically I think Lacazette's away record has been appalling and I think that speaks as much to his character as anything and I think he's never really got out of the funk of being from Ligue 1 to be honest but I really do like Lacazette great name as well great name to shout loves a goal in the North London derby again I feel like his bromance with the Bamiyang has sort of been a real hallmark of this team and one, I've in, there's not been much to enjoy about this team, but I have enjoyed both of those. And I feel like the famed curse of the Arsenal number nine is broken with Lacazette. So that's that's me on on Lacazette. Um, what do you do? You want to take anyone else or any comments on on Laka? I think he covered Lacazette quite nicely. He's a he's a frustrating player, but he is a good player. I I I do agree that I think he has sort of laid to rest that that curse of number nine. So I don't have much to add about him. So I'll talk about Lucas Podolski uh, next. Now Lucas Podolski is another one of those players who he did score goals for Arsenal, but similar to what we said about Chesney, most of the things that I love about Lucas Podolski tend to be things that happen off the pitch. I think his Arsenal career is maybe belittled by some for for maybe the way that it fizzled out. But when he first arrived, he was a very reliable goal scorer and he was a reliable player to have in the Arsenal side. The Where he did fall down was probably he wasn't the biggest fan of the defensive work. And when you play on that left-hand side um, in the system that we were playing, we were relying on him to be that sort of player. And I think... And I'm going to go back to where I spoke earlier uh, about Philippe Sendros on the uh, in lockdown uh, interviews that Arsenal did. There was one with Lucas Podolski on there where he spoke quite candidly about the fact that everyone, wherever he went, whatever club he was at, expected him to be this number nine, this goal scorer. And ultimately, that wasn't the player that he was. He was a player who played out wide, who got goals from that position and who created goals by putting balls into the box. So... I think he's a bit unfortunate with his squad number that every time someone sees a number nine, they expect that to be a pure out-and-out goalscorer. And obviously coming into Arsenal straight after Robin Van Persie as well, everyone thought that he was going to be the man to take over that mantle. And ultimately, he, he he's not that sort of player. So that would probably be what I would say about Lucas Podolski. What a left foot though. Like, that goal against West Ham. Oh, right. Uh, just smacked it. Uh, he was ruthless when it came to it. That's what drove you mad with Podolski. When he was in position, he didn't really miss. He had that wonderful left foot with just... Oh, it's like a traction engine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Lucas, again, I actually got more frustrated with him by the end. Uh, again, not really about him, but because people wanted him to play because of his social, the fact he got in a black cab, you know, and that drove me mad. That made yeah. me like him less than I possibly should have. So, uh, Eduardo de Silva, Arsenal's number nine. One of my favourite moments with you, Tom, in our, our fandom was chanting that on the tube uh, on the met, well, the metro, sorry, in Barcelona before Bentner's wonderful goal to put us ahead in the tie, which we've often described as one of the best three minutes of our lives. But Eduardo, again, you know, we've talked about DRB, we talked about um, Big Tommy. Uh, this was the worst. He could have been, oh, I do, I, he could have been anything. He was such a phenomenal number nine. I do wonder that we were starting to transition away, not we, football modern football was starting to transition away from two strikers. And I don't feel he could have led a line. But at the time he came onto the scene, his partnership with Adebayor made us, you know, that 07-08 team was brilliant, was absolutely brilliant. I, I mean, I know Van Persie and Adebayor had the partnership really, but when Eduardo came in and when he started to finish, he was a lethal finisher. He was completely clinical. We were completely robbed of... He'd have got... He'd have got close to 100 goals for Arsenal if he stayed fit and stayed how he looked. Um, and, of course, when he came back and he played on the the sort of uh, left-hand side of a front three, it was never quite the same. But, of course, the most anyone's ever celebrated uh, an opposition goal at the Emirates Stadium when he returned, he was... Um, could have been something really special, real heartbreaking story. He really could. And I think the fact that he was at Arsenal for a, a relatively short period of time and we only got to see the best of him for, what, half a season, really. And the fact that when he returned and scored that goal for Shakhtar and he, the whole stadium got up and applauded him and chanted his name, I think that speaks volumes for the effect that, and the impact that he did have on Arsenal. And we knew that when we signed him, uh, we did have a special player in terms of his finishing ability. And it's absolutely heartbreaking that we didn't get to see that that player come to fruition. Uh, my office where I'm sat at the moment, I um, I have a signed Eduardo shirt up on, up on my wall. So I'm looking at that right now and it brings back a whole host of memories. And I bought that when he was still injured and it's it's still something that I, I, I love having that on my wall. So it's a really fantastic memento. Is it just Julio Baptista left? Or? Well, I don't know that we need to discuss Baptista or Park, although I will say that um, I dragged all my housemates from uni because their tickets were a tenner up from Eastbourne. We had a day out when we had Bolton in the cup. So Fabrice Muamba scored, Arshavin equalised, and then late in the second half, Park Chu Young curled one in, and I thought we had the next Thierry Henry because the way he finished that was m magnificent. Um, we never saw him again, really. Uh, strangest signing of all time. Baptista, again, he has to go above Park for what happened at Anfield in the League yeah. Cup. But that's it. But, but that was it. I mean, Baptista, after that four, I was expecting miracles because he was a joke that day. <laughs> he was incredible. Yeah, did, did, did also get two at uh, White Hart Lane in the uh, semi-final of the League Cup as well. So that's that's also to be noted as well. But yeah, I think, do you want to summarise the list in terms of numbers? In my head here, I've got Lacazette number one, Eduardo number two, Podolski three, Big Baps four, and Parkey five. And he gets his strike away.
had the lead, they were behind, they're back in front again through the substitute. Alexandra Lacazette. This could be a famous derby win, not one that one point would reflect on two. Now, Tom, I've looked at the players here and we're probably going to need to do these two together. I agree with that. And I know exactly why you're saying that, because I was thinking the exact same thing. Uh, so why don't you talk us through this problem? <laughs> <laughs> OK, sure. Well, I, I don't want to miss anyone out. So fill me in. So uh, it, fill the gaps, you know, I should say. So 10. Uh, so when we started at the Emirates, 07, 08, we had, uh, again, actually you know, much like number three. Can you tell me your opinion on William Gallas being Arsenal's number 10? Uh, I I don't think any new signing has ever made me as furious as that because Dennis Bergkamp had just retired and we bring in a centre-back who takes number 10. Uh, I think the only squad number in the history of football that has made me more angry has been the Wolves goalkeeper taking number 11. <laughs> Yep, I hear you. Paul Rui Patricio. Um, okay, so William Gallas captains the side, number 10. That is followed by Robin Van Persie, who moves to number 10. Um, Downing Street, it sounded like when I said that. Uh, he, <laughs> he, takes, Minister RBP. <laughs> he takes the number 10 shirt in the 10-11 season, having been number 11 when we started at the Emirates. Um RVP goes and we get Super Jack Wilshire at number 10. And then that turns to Mesut Ozil, who, of course, prior to that was number 11. Um, we also have at number 11, after RVP uh, promoted himself, we had Carlos Vela, who also promoted himself from number 12. Then we had Andre Santos. Looking forward Aww. to that chat. <laughs> and then finally, uh, current number 11, Lucas Torreira. So we're probably going to need to discuss this together um, because I think, well, actually, I think we can make this simple. I think we have to discuss RVP as number 10 and Ozil as number 11. I'm glad you said that because that's exactly the stance that I took on it. Okay, so I'm crossing Ozil out from 10 and RVP on 11, although he was much better at 11 than Ozil was at 10. Um, okay, so on 10... Let's let's do it. Gallas, RVP, Jack Wilshire. Okay, so I'm going to start with William Gallas to get him uh, out of the way. Now, had it not been for the somewhat acrimonious circumstances that he produced, such as his tantrum on the pitch at Birmingham and such as him being caught smoking and things like that, I think his Arsenal career would be re remembered far more fondly. I don't think he was a bad centre-half at all. I think he made us better when we signed him. And had it not been for the fact that Ashley Cole went the other way and he was so successful at Chelsea, I think we'd be looking at William Gallas in a totally different light. Having, obviously, I'm absolutely furious that he took number 10, but I still can't believe he did that. But I did fairly recently when I was doing my shirt project, I did buy a Gallas number 10 shirt because it was about a tenner and I thought it was funny. <laughs> so despite my animosity towards him, I do have a William Gallas number 10 shirt. So that's Gallas. I think there's no question that on this list, he probably finishes third out of Jack Wilshire and Robin Van Persie. But I do think had had his number not been number 10 and it would have been number five or six, he would have featured far higher as opposed to being last on this list. 
Then we move on to Jack Wilshire. And Jack Wilshire, again, he's a player that I primarily associate with his number 19 because of his breakthrough at Arsenal. Uh, however, did take number 10 and unfortunately just never quite rediscovered that form that we knew he was capable of after after all of his injuries. He had moments and he had periods where he looked like he was going to recapture that brilliant talent that he had. But ultimately, every time that he had a run of a run of games, he would then pick up another knock and that would restrict him completely. I love Jack Wilshere and I love the fact that he loves Arsenal and everything about him is very, very likeable. OK, he does some silly things off the pitch, but he, he's just he's an Arsenal man. And the more Arsenal Arsenal boys coming through you can have, the better. Yeah, and he was... What you said about Fabregas in the last podcast where he broke through and was our best youngster, I thought Wilshire may even overtake Fabregas's legacy at the time. Um, they're often... Well, they're both really complementary of each other. We've, of course, you know, it's well documented, that Barcelona performance. But that whole season where he burst onto the scene... He was he was excellent. Um, but RVP at number 10, MVP at the time, he was phenomenal when he wore the number 10 shirt and became captain of Arsenal. I think the fact he left for Manchester United completely taints his legacy. I remember when uh, he scored 100 goals and a DVD came out, um, when DVDs were still a thing. Um, and I bought it straight away because well, he was one of the few players, actually, that connected me to my childhood, I felt. He joined um, in 2004 uh, and he left in 2012. And that was eight years of my life. It was all my teen years and he'd always been a consistent part of it. It broke my heart when he left, but especially because he had turned into comfortably one of the best strikers in the world. Every type of finish he could produce, his hold-up play, his passing, his creativity, he had everything you want from a striker playing up front on their own. Sensational finishes, um, cute finishes, everything off the left foot was excellent. He even improved his chocolate leg by the time, chocolate leak, uh, by the time, <laughs> <laughs> by the time he left the club. Um, Ah, oh, Robin, why did you go? Uh, yeah, loved RVP, loved RVP. One of my biggest regrets. What um, what do you think of of Robin? I loved Robin, and he is still one of those players that I will look back at every opportunity to watch his goals again. And the only other player that I do that with is is Thierry Henry. Whereas pretty much every goal you watch of Robin Van Persie was brilliant. Whether it was a tap-in, it was usually a pretty effective, explosive tap-in. He was always in the right place at the right time. And he made football look so beautiful. Everything he did was aesthetically pleasing. And you always felt like with him in the side, you had a chance. Whatever whatever team you were playing against, it didn't matter because you wouldn't swap Robin Van Persie for whoever they had because he was that important to us. And it was absolutely heartbreaking when he left. And similar to you, I know I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you, but similar to you, I I really struggled when he left because that was a massive part of my adolescence and my young adulthood watching him as an Arsenal player. And he was the last player that was that connection. So when that disappeared, that felt like a fairly significant and uh, and prominent moment in my, my life as, as an Arsenal supporter. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. So anyway, let's not go down this nostalgia route too deeply. So RVP number one, Wilshire two, Galas three. Ebuwe's made a great forward run here. Van Persie arriving. Oh, what a goal! What a goal by Robin Van Persie! Well, as volleys go, that is from right out of the top drawer. It's a wonder strike from Van Persie. Well, I think three of these are going to be much of a muchness, and that's going to be Vela, Santos, Torreira. Um, there's only one winner here, um, and that is the mercurial talent of Meza Ozil. He's such a hard player to discuss. If you took the character and all the off-field issues there have been and you took the debate out and just judged him as a player, I remember saying two or three seasons ago, I pay my season ticket entry fee to watch Meza Ozil. He drove some people mad with his work rate. I didn't care. His laid-back body language, I defended. His languid style on the ball was brilliant. He was untackleable. He was ultra-creative. He could put the ball wherever you like off that left foot. Again, I think I've said this before, he was really clinical when presented with the chance. He also signified something bigger about what we were becoming that we could attract a talent like him um if you ignore how it's gone and just think back to that day he signed and that debut away at Sunderland and his pass to set up Giroud it gives me all sorts of tingles remembering how excited I was but he has given me so many moments again you know those chopped finishes the brilliant set pieces the passes that no one else saw um playmaker extraordinaire Mesut Ozil. When he wanted to to turn it on, he really, really could turn it on. And okay, he was a player that could, that can be frustrating, but I never I, I never really understood the argument about the work rate because we knew what sort of player we were getting when we signed him. He's never been a player that works his socks off or, or anything like that. He's a player designed to create moments in the final third. And it's so frustrating when people can't see that not all footballers are exactly the same. Not all footballers have to be the same. There are differences. And someone like Meza Ozil, he is most effective by probably reserving his energy levels so that when he is in those final third positions, he can then make the difference. And in his prime, there weren't many better at doing that than Meza Ozil. Okay, it's turned a bit sour now and we're all fed up of that conversation. But putting that to one side, like you said, Andre, he was a fantastic player. And when we signed him and his first, certainly first two or three seasons, he, he was fantastic. And if he was in a team with better players, I think we would have seen an, an even better Meza Ozil, which I think is testament to him. For sure, for sure. No, brilliant, brilliant. And, you know, it's... A great shame how his career will be viewed for the next couple of years, whether he stays this season, goes, whatever. Uh, it's a bit of a shame that it will be tarnished because he uh, he represented um, he, he represented everything good about Arsene Wenger and, and now he represents kind of everything bad about the club, which is, again, a shame. I'll take my next player as Andre Santos. Um <laughs> Left back at number 11, I think you can only get away with if you're Brazilian. However, it's still unacceptable. I know the rules, Tom, don't worry. Uh, 
when he joined, I thought we had a bit of a player here. I thought we had, you know how Marcelo is for Real Madrid? I thought we were ahead of our time with Andre Santos and getting that. Unfortunately, he likes food as much as I do, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> because let me tell you now, if you watched me play Power League last night and you saw the pace I was capable of, you can see the touch was still there. But the movement and the pace and the agility wasn't. Now, I'm playing with 40-year-old blokes, 10 years older than me because of my knees, so I could look good. You know, he should have been that left-back that... You know you know the modern fullback getting up and down, but like that, that element of creativity? That's what he should have been and looked like being at the start, but he really wasn't. <laughs> um, and it was a great shame, but... He did score away at Stamford Bridge in one of my favourite games there's ever been. He did. And I think when you say about he could have been that player that he, well, he should have been that player who gets up, up and back and creates things. He was very good at getting up the pitch. He just was not very good at getting back. <laughs> <laughs> he really wasn't. He really wasn't. OK, I'll, ta- I'll take Carlos Vela now then. And Carlos Vela is one of those players that I'm full of regrets about because... When I went to the Emirates to watch a League Cup game against Wigan and he scored the most delightful of chips over Chris Kirkland and I saw him and thought, wow, we have got one hell of a player on our hands here. And it was so disappointing that it never quite worked out for him at Arsenal because I genuinely think he could could have been a really, really useful player for us. Again, like we said, sometimes... uh, transfers just don't work out right and he was one that we we waited for a long time and reluctantly um, had to wait for him to come but when he did come he had those flashes of brilliance but ultimately there were few and far between yeah he he signified that league cup team the excitement around it and what we thought we had for for future eras um he loved chips probably as much as andre santos actually um the best He's one of my favourite finishers, actually. He was... Um, I swear he only really scored chips for us. Um, a big fan of Carlos, but again, sort of what might have been. Um, so that leaves me with, I guess, our last player to talk about before we try and put this in a formation, which is Lucas Torreira. I think in five, if Lucas Torreira leaves this season and has played for Arsenal for two seasons, and they're these two seasons that have just gone, he will be one of the most forgotten players we've had. When you run through this list, there's a few that sort of stick out. You know, I think you'd do well to remember Debushi, Elneny, Gabriel, as a a sort of your average fan, or Park, or Baptista. Torreira will probably fall into that category. You know, I think we've talked about physicality. When he first came on the scene, you know, Unai Emery's team... And he was snapping into challenges, playing in that more defensive midfield role that he plays for Uruguay and had been so successful at. Um, You know, if he stays another year and boosts it, you know, you never know. His legacy could be completely different at Arsenal. Um, Great overhead kick against Huddersfield. Brilliant goal in the derby. But not a whole lot else for Lucas Torreira. Yeah, I think that's a fair summary. Uh, he, he was a player that when we signed him, I was really, really excited about, especially having seen him in the uh, in the World Cup. Never quite kicked on like we expected. Um, and I don't think anyone would be shocked to see him depart this summer. If he does stay, then we hopefully will get the best out of him. But 
I think it's just sometimes a football club and a football player don't quite match up. And I think he's probably an example of that. And maybe, I think you've spoken about it before, Andre, about the league maybe not quite suiting his attributes. And maybe Italian football might be something that going back to would be good for his uh, for his career. That kind of leaves it as just to put the last four into order. So obviously Mesut Ozil wins that one outright. And like you said, I, I, I struggle to put the other three into an order because they're all much of a muchness. I'm going to go Torreira 2, Vela 3, Santos 4. Yeah, I mean, I had Vela 2, Torreira 3, Santos 4. So it doesn't really change an awful lot. But I'm, I'm happy to have Torreira number 2. And now Walcott, who can run away from them. Blint trying to buy him a bit of time. Ozil 2! United in a real mess at the moment. After much debate, that does get us our final 11, which I'm going to read in order. So we have Jens Lehmann, we have Hector Bellerin, we have Bakary Sanya. Every time I say his name, I start like I'm going to say Bakaya Saka. We have Ces Fabregas, we have Kolo Torre. Lauren Koscielny, Thomas Rosicki, Aaron Ramsey, Alexander Lacazette, Robin Van Persie and Meza Ozil. Now, I've very quickly written this down and we can actually put quite a good formation out from this team. So we can have a 4-4-2, but we would have to have Bakary Sanya at left back. Yep. But that would also mean that our wide players are Ozil and Rosicki, with Ramsey and Fabregas in the middle and Lacazette and Van Persie up front. There's goals in this team. There's goals in this team. I I, I, uh, I just sent you a picture of my um, 4-4-2. I mean, what you'd probably do is you'd probably play a 4-2-2-2. Um, I worry for Bakary and Hector in this formation. Yes. Um, they are in all sorts. In fact, I worry... To be honest, this is so indicative of the period. I look at that defence and go, there's some good individual players there but there's not much protection in front of it. But we're going to watch some, some great stuff and there's going to be a lot of goals in this team. Um, I reckon this team will finish fourth. <laughs> yeah, I think I think this kind of this team kind of summarises Arsene Wenger's philosophy for much of his, his Arsenal career, that it's very attacking and not really thinking about anything <laughs> going back against you. So it's, uh, I, yeah, like you say, I think we'd score a lot of goals, but we'd probably concede quite a lot of goals with this pack, with this, uh, with this team. So, but no, really, really interesting. Uh, I think what would be probably quite interesting at some point would be to go and look at some of the higher numbers. Obviously, in modern football, it isn't just a strict one to eleven. So there's a lot, a lot of fantastic players who have taken up higher squad numbers. So maybe we'll look at that at another time, but. Ultimately, I think I think that's not a bad side considering the restrictions we we put in place. Yeah, I'm happy with it. I'm ha- I want to watch it. I want to watch it. That's for sure. Okay, so we'll 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 message all of them and see if they fancy a game, <laughs> and they can they can play against my Sunday team in a friendly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Okay, so I think that kind of brings to an end this special episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. Thank you very much to everyone who has listened and 
who continues to listen. We really, really do appreciate it. If you'd like to see us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for The Boys in Red and White. And we also have a website which has my blog on, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. Thank you very much for your time, as always, Andre. It's been a pleasure. It really has. This was great fun. Thank you. Great, great discussions. And we'll be back with another podcast shortly. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye.